Um, good morning. It's, uh, I don't know about you guys, but while I do have ADD and I can't go for more than an hour, I'm disappointed that church is only an hour, you know? It's good worship. Thank you, band, for all the work you put in during the week. It's excellent. <clears throat> um, just a couple of reminders. You guys know about the offering receptacles that are on the side. That's so that during this great time of worship, we can add to your worship experience by allowing you to give your offerings uh, to support the ministries uh, that, that are going out from the Church of Palms, which are a lot. Now, I do have a problem with one of the receptacles. As you know, the kids decorate them. One of them has Go Gators written on it four times. I don't know. I don't know how anybody expects to get any money put in that thing, but... <clears throat> Whatever. Uh, um, but uh, as far as with the worship, you know, uh, Megan and I worked together with the band throughout the week, actually several weeks in advance, talking about the subject matter and the things that we're going to be discussing. And so I want you to know it's not just like a random selection of songs and the band gets together and hope it sounds good. And, you know, it, there's actually a collaboration together. The worship team with Steve and Mike and Megan and Bruce work together very well. And they do that because we're thinking about you all throughout the week and how that we can make you have a greater awareness of God's never-changing presence. Um, today, embarrassing humility is our topic. Embarrassing humility. Let that phrase ruminate for just a minute. Embarrassing is a word that many people think of when they think of being around me in public. <clears throat> and I understand why. I'm going to read to you the passage, then we're going to break it down like we normally do, okay? This is 2 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 16 to the end. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she hated him in her heart. That's pretty strong words, isn't it? And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished... Offering the burnt offerings, the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread and a portion of meat and a cake of raisins to each one. Then everybody departed each to his house. It's kind of like Christmas Eve. They all came together, they got some stuff, and they went home to celebrate. <clears throat> That's kind of really the way it is, sort of. And it's interesting the parallels, right? Because in Christmas, we celebrate, celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus to earth. And what they're celebrating here is the return of the essence of God's presence into the middle of his people. So the similarities are pretty, pretty clear there. And as David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David. Like he's coming in, you know, he's got, had a long day at work being king and celebrating. And he's walking down the street and he comes to the picket fence. And before he can get in the door, she walks up to the picket fence and says, Hey, how the king of Israel honored himself today uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, even his female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She's, she is mad. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house. Oh, snap. That's pretty good. It was the Lord who chose me before your father and before all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel. And over his people. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself even more undignified than this. 
and I will be even more embarrassing in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them they hold me in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child until the day of her death. Marital bliss. The first thing I want to look at, it is a great celebration. We understand last week we talked about how Uzzah touched the ark and died, and that was kind of a bad thing, and they put it uh, you know, in one place for three months, and then finally David figured out, I was transporting it wrong. So they got all that squared away. They finally got the ark, which represents the presence of God, which we have discussed is David's greatest passion. David is a sinful man. In many ways, he's kind of a, a deplorable man. But one thing about David is he loves God's presence. And so that's what the celebration is about, the return of the presence of God among his people. And we talked last week about the sanctuary and about how these buildings are not sanctuaries. They're not special. They're not holy. They're not godly. We are special. We are holy. We are godly. We are the sanctuary. Michael is disgusted with David's behavior, and David is just acting out of his natural heart for God. And the nation is celebrating while she's embarrassed. See, she was focused on embarrassment while the mood of the nation was Christmas Eve. They went through all the offerings to get the ark to the stage. Everybody's happy. David gives away gifts of food to everybody. Everybody is celebrating. The long-missing ark that we had forgotten about for years under Saul's reign has been taken up and returned to where it belongs. Big celebration. And all she can focus on is how embarrassed she is of her husband. See, this is the focus on the outward And the fear that she has. She's focused on what man sees and not what God sees. And it's kind of funny how that goes right back to our very first lesson on the life of David. Remember? God saw something different. The name of the title of the sermon was Good Eye God. And we talked about how God didn't like the tallest brother. He didn't like the strongest brother. He chose the shepherd in the field. And Michael sees just like her dad would see. She shows a focus on prestige and reputation. And David reminds her that God chose him, not her dad. David reminds her, hey, listen, before you criticize the way I act before my God, think about this for a second. Sure, your dad would never act like that. But your dad's not king anymore. God chose me. So clearly, God doesn't care about what you're embarrassed about. As a matter of fact, God kind of likes it. And if you think this is embarrassing, just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because I will be even more embarrassing in your eyes in the years to come with the way I act before my God who chose me over your dad. Now, I don't know, but they probably could have used some marriage counseling at this point. I'm just saying. Because what happens here is, and this is kind of strange, right? Because David does demote her in the wife rankings. The scripture says she didn't have any kids. 
Now, it's weird that you have wife rankings. We understand that. And we've talked about that in a previous lesson, about how David, we saw the seeds of failure. Remember we talked about that? That that once David was king, there was great celebration. A lot of things were going on. But he took for himself a bunch of wives. And we talked about the fact that Leviticus taught us that the king was not supposed to take himself a bunch of wives. David did it anyway. So we talked about the seeds of failure in David's life that were going to birth later on. And in two weeks, we're going to talk about that failure with Bathsheba. But he demotes her in the wife rankings. And so the very prestige and honor that she was afraid that David was losing, she loses in her embarrassment of David. Then David completes his public worship, goes home, and then we talk about this passage. Now I want to talk about some things that are embarrassing about me. You know, a couple weeks ago, somebody was talking to me about how, Joe, you know, we really appreciate the way you're willing to embarrass yourself in front of us. And I said, well, thanks, I guess. <laughs> it's not really what my goal was, but... But you understand, vulnerability and transparency are the core of why David, in the midst of being a pretty sinful guy, more than most of us, mind you, This is the reason he had a pretty amazing relationship with God. So let's talk about some things that are embarrassing about me. There are some of you that will never see me after a workout. You just won't. Some of you will never see me without my shirt on. You're thinking, thank God. (laughs) Some of you will never see me in my underwear. Don't judge me. I put it up there for a reason. Some of you are like really, un- really uncomfortable right now, aren't you? Just thinking about it. That's by design. You're like Michael, for goodness sakes. Think about it for a minute. Think about it. Some of you will never see my feet because my toes are really ugly. Some of you will never hear how I talk when I drive. Because <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing. Now, I could launch into a Les McCurdy-style joke fest about... Tammy Amy Trail, but I won't. But you get my point. Some people can't really under, understand or handle my sense of humor. Sometimes I say things that I think are funny and apparently are very offensive. <laughs> I take your laughter as affirmation of that. <laughs> Some of you are still thinking about my underwear, I understand. <laughs> Some of you will never see me when I deal with my own personal sinfulness. I don't want you to see it. Some people in here will never see me when I cry over that sinfulness. But you know, God sees it all. And I am perfectly okay with that. Because I cannot be embarrassed in front of a God that knows everything about me anyway. In reality, it's because of this relationship with Heavenly Dad that I have learned from mentors in my life and from studying the life of David that has enabled me to not care what some of you think about my relationship with God.
And I'm not saying any of you ever judge me. You haven't. You're a great group of people and you've been very affirming. But my point that I'm making is, as I get older, I care less and less about what people think about how I relate to Heavenly Dad. It has removed my fear of people. And it's helped me focus on my relationship with Him and those who He has specifically called me to love and shepherd. Because what God does is He works uniquely in each person. And in the midst of my flaws and weaknesses and deficiencies that He knows all about, He has seen me with my shirt off. If you understand what I'm saying, allegorically. In the midst of that, He has called me to love and shepherd certain types of people and certain types of kids and certain types of adults that only I'm able to do because of how God has made me. And there was a time where I would work really hard early on in ministry to try to be polished. And apparently I wasn't very good at it because I got fired three times. Honestly, guys, I'm, I was joking around with some people today, but I really, I wish, just for the sake of impact... And just for the sake of you understanding how serious I am about not caring, I almost wish I could take my shirt off and preach the rest of this sermon right here. <laughs> I won't, not because I'm embarrassed, because I don't want anybody to throw up. But the point, <laughs> the point that I'm trying to make is, through the midst of my weakness and my deficiency, and being keenly aware of it, and living in the light of the fact that I have these, right... God has given me the freedom to be embarrassingly humble before Him. And it's so liberating. Don't take this wrong. It's not a result of some super godliness in my life. It's a result of realizing how great Heavenly Dad is. And how He knows all my crap. Yet He still chooses... To be my roommate. You ever had a roommate you just wanted out because they were smelly, they were dirty, they stole your cereal, they drank your milk? I had a roommate one time. I used to, when I was in college, I didn't have a lot of money, so I would buy these 45,000 packs of ramen noodles at like Sam's Wholesale Club. It's like 23 cents a meal, guys, you know what I'm saying? And I would come home and half of them would be gone. And my roommate God, just ticks me. I steal God's ramen noodles all the time. But I'm still his sanctuary. He doesn't move out. I've tried to kick him out, and he won't go. I mean, for real, he is my roommate. Because I am his sanctuary. And why is this? It's so Christ can display this to others. He can display to them just how insane His mercy is. Look at this passage. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This is Paul writing this. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the worst, Jesus Christ might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life, to the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to, to be honor and glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Isn't it interesting how he brackets this passage with the worst and the best? I'm the worst. He's the best. And the reason he shows me mercy is so that other people can see as bad as I am, even God can save them. And I believe that part of the reason that God has used me in the life of those that he's allowed me to have the privilege of being involved in his calling process, it's not because I'm such a great person, because I am flawed, believe me. But mercy seems a lot more attainable when you look at me. And I think you guys can relate to that. I think you guys, if you really were to remove your mask and take it away and let people see who you really are and they still know that God resides in you, mercy would seem very attainable, wouldn't it? I mean, here's David, the king of Israel, dancing before God in joy and pleasure that God's presence is here and his behavior and his clothes coming off and all that stuff. And, and, and Michael's embarrassed. There were probably some people in Israel who said, man... If my king can act like this before God, certainly I can. And Paul says, look, the reason that God has given me, the worst of sinners, this incredible, ridiculous, crazy, stupidly crazy mercy, is so that he could show the perfection of his grace to those who will come to him. See, what is in your intent when you come to church on Sunday morning? What is your intent? I mean, we come with the intent of worshiping, but sometimes all we see is this parade of worship before us. We see the worship leader, the words to the songs. We see our friends. We see the pastor. And when the service is over, we are satisfied, or maybe we are not so satisfied with the show that was put on. But we have missed the most extraordinary opportunity. We missed an opportunity for an intimate time of deep vulnerability with God because we don't come in humble and we don't come in vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable with you every Sunday morning before I leave the house. I know this is going to be... Okay, I am going to shout. I was thinking, no, I don't want to go there, but... I, I go to my wife, honey, does this shirt make me look fat? <laughs> and I'm so worried about it, you know? Isn't it the woman who's supposed to have? <laughs> and of course, my wife, she's a great woman. Many times her answer is, yes. <laughs> I have something after this slide, but here's my, here's my journal. Far too often, I, this is from 1999 when I was studying the life of David. Far too often I seem to sleepwalk through times where I should be engaged with God. My worship should be one of the many byproducts of embarrassing humility. Otherwise, it's not worship. I end up enduring it, faking it, or just merely enjoying it. I don't want to just enjoy worship anymore. I am sick of just enjoying it. See, I struggled with trying to verbalize back then what I really meant. And frankly, I still do. But I can tell you what the visual of it is, even if I can't get the words right. It's David's relationship with God that is the visual. The one he had 
even in the midst of his deep, dark flaws. <clears throat> See, David, just like Paul talked about in, in, uh, in Timothy, David is an amazing testament to God's mercy and grace, isn't he? His humility, his vulnerability, vulnerability and his embarrassing indignity are great pictures of God's grace. So think about that for just a minute. The thing that best shows what I was trying to communicate in my journal is David dancing. Aren't you sick of just enjoying worship? You know what that means? I enjoyed worship. I like the music. What about the times in worship where you get to the... This is one I... I hear people say this all the time, and I don't mean to judge anyone, but, oh, that music was anointed. That means you liked it. And that's okay. Like, that song's anointed, but the one before that was not anointed. <laughs> that Crowder album is anointed. The Chris Tomlin one, not so much. Led Zeppelin, anointed. Sticks, not anointed. <laughs> you get the point, right? But the point that I'm trying to make is this. I'm tired of enjoying worship. I want to be vulnerable in worship. And here's the problem. A lot of people look at this passage in 2 Samuel 6 and they think it's about worship. It's not about worship. Worship is simply the byproduct of the core of the passage. The core of the passage is vulnerability, brokenness, embarrassing humility. That's the byproduct, worship is, of embarrassing humility before God. Think about it again as we look at this, pas this passage one more time. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me, as the worst, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And this is the concept that I'll close with. Sometimes when I'm trying to worship, now I've, I've observed a lot of pastors in my day worship, people on my staff, people and staff with me, and they all would sing. And sometimes I didn't feel like singing. I thought, maybe I'm a crappy pastor. Here I am in church, sitting in the front row. I can't even sing. But then God freed me from that. God said, in worship, it's not the singing. It's not enjoying the music. It's the vulnerability. It's the humility. It's the brokenness. And you can begin to see that once you have that, worship is not an effort. Worship is a reaction. And it's not just worship. It's serving. It's shepherding. It's loving. It's forgiving. It's sacrificing. All those things are a direct byproduct of brokenness, of vulnerability, of indignity, and embarrassing humility before God. So I'm challenging you today. Stop enjoying worship. Yes, you can enjoy it. But stop making that your goal.
Make your goal, I want to be vulnerable in worship. This is not an excuse to say, you know what, you can start running around, dancing. That's not what I'm talking about. That's irrelevant. That's not the point. The point is, are you vulnerable before God? Because he's seen you with your shirt off. He's seen you in your underwear. Allegorically, you know what I'm talking about. He knows how messy your toes are. He knows what you say when you drive. He knows how you deal with your sinfulness. He knows why you cry. And he knows when you're just faking it. So stop. Who cares if other people like the way you fake it? As a congregation, let's start being embarrassingly humble. 